Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but uh, when you plan things, when you prepare and you hope things will work out, it always works out, right? Well, there was this one time at White River Christian Church, um, we were in the middle of our largest gathering of the whole year. We had 700 people right here in this room. We were planned up. We were prayed up. We were prepared up. And the fire alarm started going off and hundreds of gallons of water started pouring in the hallway. You maybe remember that. That was just two weeks ago on Christmas Eve at our three o'clock service. That was not what we had planned and not how we thought Christmas Eve was going to work out. I was uh, up at uh, Hamilton North helping our Christmas Eve services there. I get this text in the middle of the three o'clock services. The fire alarms are going off. There's water everywhere. And I have no idea what's going on. My mind just goes wild. I'm thinking, you're all wet. You're running outside and it's 10 degrees. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. But it sounds terrible. Um, I have to give a shout out to uh, DJ and Michelle Barnett who do an amazing job with our operations in this building. Yes, uh, Pastor Lance, a cool-headed, just smooth Philip, uh, Fred, the rest, uh, Officer Stefan. There were so many of you who stepped in and helped. And uh, man, you what I hear, it just went smoothly. Praise God. Now, uh, we don't really want that to happen again, but it went well, all things considered. Um, and that's not just true as an organization. When you make plans and, and things maybe don't work out, things like that happen in your own home, don't they? I, I bought my wife a Christmas gift, not this year, but a couple years ago, and it was a vacuum cleaner. And some of you are like, come on, don't do that. Don't buy stuff like that for your wife. Well, she really wanted a vacuum cleaner, so... That's what I was thinking, and um, I got her this. I wrapped it up. I thought it was brand new. She opens it up. She was excited. See, she liked it, and um, she plugs it in, and nothing. It doesn't work, and it took all of 30 seconds to investigate this situation. There was hair already in it, and there was dirt and dust, and I'm like, this is used. What in the world? Target gave me this used vacuum cleaner, so that didn't go well. That is not how I thought it was going to work out. When things don't work out, it can be very disappointing, right? Well, today and the next six weeks, we are going to be asking a very simple question. Does your faith work? Does your faith work out? And by work, I mean, is it part of your life? Is it something that you lean on? that you rely on every day, and it helps you through your life? Does your faith work? By work, we mean does your faith actually show itself out, like people could see you and, and know that, that you have this faith because it works. See, it's easy for us to live a life that doesn't reflect what we believe in our minds. We make decisions all the time, and sometimes they reflect what we believe, and, and other times maybe it doesn't what we hope to uh, represent. We believe in our minds and in our hearts. 
And there are so many places in the Bible where we can find that theme and we can dig into that connection between our faith and our actions. But there is one place where this just screams when we open the pages of Scripture, and that is in the New Testament book of James. And so you can turn to the book of James and encourage you, if you brought a Bible, turn to the book of James because James wants to communicate this idea to all of us that faith in God always, always works its way from our head to our hands. That faith in God cannot stay intellectual. That faith in God works. That's what James tells us. Faith just works. And uh, I'm going to show you a little sample of where we're headed in James. Verse 22 of chapter one says, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Verse 14 of chapter two says this, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Faith for James and faith throughout all of scripture is not just intellectual, it's something that you can see. So I want to ask, what could happen if for this week and the next six weeks, what could God do as we ask this question honestly, as we seek to put our faith into practice? And this is something that would apply to every single person in this room because we have access to what God is saying to us, the living God. If you don't know what to do in your life and you're thinking, man, if I just had some wisdom, if I knew what God was saying, if I just knew how to apply my faith, I would do it. Well, sometimes we forget that we are holding the most important words that you could ever have. The living God has opened his mouth and is speaking as long as this is open. God is talking to us today. These are the most important words that we could ever read. And so I want to ask this next question. Would you consider asking God to help you work out your faith? In this next short season, as we start this year, would you ask that question with me? God, would you help me work out my faith? Would you consider asking that question over and over? And I'm asking every single one of you, maybe somebody in here today is thinking, well, I'm not a Christian. Would you consider asking God to help you grow in your faith, whatever that looks like? Maybe you have been coming to White River for a long time. Would you still ask that question? God, could you help me? grow in my faith in this season. We're gonna be in the book of James for about 40 days. Let's ask that question over and over. God, would you help me work out my faith? And we're gonna do that by reading and studying what he is saying. Pretty simple, really. Let's start. James 1.1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. 
ancient letters, and the only ancient letters I read are are right here, so I don't have a lot of experience to other ancient letters, but James is an ancient letter, 2,000 years old, and uh, if you notice this, when you read the New Testament, these letters, they usually start in a way that we do not start letters. They actually start with the author, and when you think about it, that makes a whole lot of sense, because if you've ever gotten a letter, or, or maybe an email, or something, the, the author is at the end. I don't know why we do that in our culture. That's what you're taught in school. You write an official business letter or a recommendation letter or something, and you, who's this from? You're not going to read the whole letter and wait. You always look at who it's from and then read it. I think they got this right. Who is this from? They tell us up front, out top, and that makes a whole lot of sense, but this letter is from James. Well, who is James? Which James? If you read much of scripture, there's lots of Jameses. Which James are we talking about? Well, there would only be one James who wouldn't have to qualify his name or his title. There's only one James that if you said, this is James, they knew who we were talking about. There was a James who was leading the very first Christian church, the church in Jerusalem. See, that's where the church started. After Jesus rose from the dead, the apostles started in Jerusalem, and there was a church that was born. The church that planted all other churches started in Jerusalem, and James, some say, was the first megachurch pastor of the church in Jerusalem in the first century. He took, he taught, he shepherded a large group of believers that were left after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 21, it tells us this, 21:18. just quickly, the next day Paul went with us to meet with James and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. You see, James was listed because he was the first of equals among the elders at the Jerusalem church. He was the primary teacher and figure and shepherd of that first church. Pretty amazing. Okay, that's who James is. Um, Is there anything else you think we should know about this James? Actually, there's a lot we need to know about this James. He's not just any old person. Matthew 13, 55 says uh, this, and this is an interaction uh, during Jesus' life. Um, It says this, he's just a carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. James is the brother of our Lord Jesus. And that is significant because in John chapter seven, it says even his brothers did not believe in him. James started as an unbelieving brother of Jesus. Just like Judas, which we studied his letter back in November, we call him Jude, We said the same thing then. They were two unbelieving brothers of Jesus who had an experience. And James, as he starts his letter, he describes himself not as the brother of Jesus, but as the slave of Jesus. Wow. That is a huge change, isn't it? (laughs) To go to calling yourself as a slave to Jesus. 
How and why did that happen? Well, something happened in James' life that not only changed the world, but changed his world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4 says this. He, Christ, was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter. And then by the 12, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. James got a special appointment with the risen Jesus. Jesus said, I need to go see my brother James His mind needs to change. He has things for James to do. And so he went and appeared to James personally. And in that moment, his life changed when he interacted with the risen Jesus Christ. He went from not just being the older brother who probably knew everything and got everything right to being his master, to being his Lord the one that he would follow, the one that he devoted his entire life to. This is who Jesus is to James and hopefully to every one of us. And people who know the book of James, some people think that James, well, James doesn't talk about the gospel very much. He doesn't talk about Jesus. And if you look, and you could go on this website, Bible Gateway, it's a really cool tool. You can search things. You can type Jesus and hit enter, and it'll tell you everywhere Jesus is in the Bible. And uh, you could do that, and it'll say Jesus' name is only mentioned three times in the book of James, and one of them is right here in the first verse. He doesn't talk about Jesus very much, but If you read, and hopefully you will read the book of James with us, Jesus' fingerprints are all over this book because I would say there's at least 15 allusions to the Sermon on the Mount right here in this book, these five short chapters. This person, James, hung around with Jesus. He rubbed shoulders and elbows with Jesus, and of course, James did. So, as we consider asking God to help us work out our faith, there are three things I want you to consider as we read this book. And in fact, not only as you read James, these are three things that I would think, no matter what you're doing, if you're on a Bible reading plan or you're reading some other things, I encourage you to keep doing that. Use these three things that you should consider that help us understand what God's word is saying as we seek to grow in our faith. The first thing you need to consider is this. You need to consider what you see. You need to consider what you see on the page. And this maybe seems so simple and so basic, but it is so important. Another way to say this is just make observations as you read. All good Bible students see things in the text. You can't be a good Bible student if you don't know how to make good observations. And so I want to practice this as we read a couple of verses. Because the most significant connections that you can make if you want to learn how to read the Bible better on your own is simply to acknowledge exactly what the text says. Because it's exactly what God says to you. We need to pay attention to every detail. It's important. 
So, this may sound basic, but here's a little quiz. We read verse one. We know this letter is written from James. Who is it written to? The 12 tribes, okay? You can read that, you can see that, and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a good Bible student. I don't really know what that means. Others of you are like, well, I know a little bit about the Old Testament. That sounds like the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, I don't know. Who is this? Well, what does it say? Well, the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. The text tells us exactly what that phrase means. It means, and it makes a whole lot of sense, James in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, There are Jews in Jerusalem. The Christians were Jewish Christians. James was writing to that group. Also, to you and I now, we just have to see it. It's there. Keep going. Verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, when I read this verse, what pops out to me, what I see, is this word I've been using a lot already today, consider. Consider. James is telling me to consider something. James's first challenge, and he is a guy who's going to give us challenge after challenge. I've heard every other verse. There's over 50 challenges, and there's 100 verses in James. He's going to challenge, 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 challenge us all over to work out our faith. And the first challenge is a thinking challenge. I want you to consider. What's fascinating to me is that James, how he described himself, he described himself, remember, as a Slave. Do slaves get consideration? Do slaves get to add their input and and think freely and openly? Not usually. But because I'm making this observation, I can make the connection that our master, Jesus, is not like any other master, any other Lord. He is a Lord who has servants, slaves who serve him out of devotion, and he doesn't force them or manipulate them in any way. He says, you get to consider. Consider this. Now, what do we get to consider? Consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles of any kind come, what do I see? I see that the text says when, not if. It's not if troubles or trials are going to come into your life. It's when. So it's not about a select number of troubles or trials. It's all of them. When they come, not if they come. We know. We live this life. They are coming. And when they come, the challenge is to think about them. Consider it a little differently. And these troubles could be of any kind. That sounds very generic. Any kind. And that's true. James is saying it doesn't matter what kind of trouble it is. Any kind of trouble. This applies to you. Did you lose your job? Are you concerned with poverty? 
Are you concerned with something unjust that happened in your life, something that happened to your kids, something that happened at work that was wrong, that brought trouble into your life? Are you grieving a loss of some kind? Have you had conflict? That sounds like trouble. Are you just sick and dealing with trouble? Or are you just having a bad day? That sounds a lot like exactly what James is saying because that's trouble of any kind. Trouble. And when those things happen, consider it. What are we to consider? We're to consider it an opportunity. Well, how do we do that? That sounds awfully difficult. My knee-jerk reaction when troubles of any kind or many kind or all kinds come into me. It's not to just go, okay, opportunity at hand. This is great. But that is what James is saying. Consider it. Before you have any other reaction, consider this trial an opportunity for you to have great joy. Okay. Okay. Interesting thought, James. Well, if we are in Christ... We have access to an unending well of joy. Christ is the fountain of joy. And if we have access to him, everything is really an opportunity to grow closer and tap more deeply into that well, which is our relationship with Jesus. If we have questions about that, how does this work? We don't always understand what we see. So we could maybe make all of these observations, and I think you're tracking with me. You're saying, okay, I see that, I see that, I see that, but now you've hit a roadblock. You're like, I don't understand that. I don't understand what the Bible is saying. This leads me to the next thing I need to consider. We need to consider what we need to know. So as you're reading, you should consider what you need to know. You need to know how this works. I, I need to understand this. I need to understand this passage. And all good Bible students start as they see the text, and then they go, I get some questions. I write those questions down, or I think about those questions, and I need to understand what the Bible is saying. Well, how do you find the answers? How do you understand the text if you're like, I don't, I don't know. You just don't know. Well, my best advice to you would be a couple of things. One, you need to follow your curiosity. If you really want to know something, you're going to try to figure it out. So you should try to understand the things that really intrigue you or think about the questions that you come to in Scripture in ways that interest you. Because if it's interesting to you, you're going to try to find out the answer. And I think you will have the tools because you have access to all kinds of things to find out answers. So follow your curiosity. That will help you understand what the Bible is saying. Uh, the other thing I would say is this. You need to do this with a friend. Do it with a friend. As we read scripture together as a church with people in your home, people in your small group or somebody else, hey, would you read, read this with me? You can bounce things off and help each other understand it better. And so we want to keep practicing this because this doesn't just, again, apply to James. This is to anything that you're reading in Scripture. Because I know some of you are thinking, well, I still don't have a lot of tools. I don't know how to do this. 
Well, I would say this as we seek to be better students in understanding Scripture. Um, yes, knowing the original Greek is, is super helpful. It helps you understand something at a deeper level. Having a library full of commentaries is super helpful to help you understand what someone like James is saying. Yes, those are great. But those things aren't for everyone. And, and they're probably not for you, and that's okay. But I would say it's kind of like cooking in this way. We can all grow in our ability to cook. Not every single cook has to grow their own vegetables and make things from scratch, okay? But every single cook can learn to add a spice, can learn a new recipe, can add one new trick. And so as you think about studying the Bible this year, think about it in those terms. You don't have to be a scratch cook. You can just add one tool, add one thing, to how you understand and study scripture, you are making progress. Again, read with a buddy. They're gonna help you discern, um, no, that's crazy, that's definitely not what it means. Don't think that anymore. <laughs> or yes, that sounds good. I like that, I bet that's what that means. God will use the Holy Spirit in you to do it together. I also suggest getting a study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, I would love to help you. Honestly, if there are tools that you think you need, you would like, or you're like, I don't even know what tools, send me an email. I would love to help you. You can find it on wrcc.org. Check it out. I would love to help you, honestly. Um, so let's keep reading James 1, 3. For you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James jumps right into this concept that we're talking about of our faith. That there is a chance for it to grow. There's a chance for it to grow. And it grows when there is something pushing against it. These trials, these tests something to push and make you endure as James describes it. And again, it makes me think about all these New Year's resolutions that we have to go to the gym and you don't go to the gym and pump air. You have to have resistance for your muscles to grow. Faith is exactly like that. It's like a muscle. There has to be something pushing against it so that you can grow those faith muscles, if you will, and as I look at this, it's important to remember, you don't lose your other principles. Let's look at what we see as we're seeking to understand. Faith is not produced in trials. That's not where faith is born. That's where faith grows. That's a big distinction. As we interact with people that don't have faith, I shouldn't expect them for faith to be born in that. Can God do that? Of course, God can do anything. But I am looking to you who have faith in Jesus. When you endure trials, you have a chance to grow. Those are very important words as we're reading the text. You have a chance. It's not a guarantee. Oh, well, they're going through trials. Their faith will grow. If you think about your life, you think about yourself, you think about the people around you in this world, sometimes people's faith doesn't grow. 
when they're experiencing resistance. They let go. They give up. There is a chance for you to grow. And when you do, verse 4, you have an opportunity to gain what I think could be the most valuable thing that you could have on this earth. A faith that would be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I think that would be pretty valuable. (laughs) If you went through life completely confident that God was in control, a fully developed, mature faith in Jesus, wouldn't that be the most valuable gift that you could have as you walk through this life and encounter anything? I think so. Think about all the things and all the stuff that you and I are going through right now. Loss. I did two funerals in the last two weeks. Broken relationships, lack of relationships, divorce, long-term health issues, dealing with aging parents, depression, temptation, struggles at work, suffering from decisions that were made long ago, maybe decisions that you made that still have impact today, or maybe things that were done to you a long time ago that still have impact on you today. There are things that we have. We have these scars all over us from trials and troubles and tribulations in the past, and James is saying something. Even though he knows, God knows, our life is complicated. The readers who were reading this the very first time, their life was very complicated, But we're told, consider, consider all that stuff. Yes, we know it's happening. Consider it an opportunity. That's different. Consider it an opportunity for joy. Consider it an opportunity for your faith to grow. Okay? This is what James is saying. This is what he means. Not slap on a fake happy face and pretend to be a perfect Christian. Everything is fine. No. Consider it in your mind, in your heart. Know that whatever you're going through, you have an opportunity at your hands. Not a guarantee of growth, a chance for growth. And it starts with how you're thinking about it. Can you consider it differently today? Then you will have a chance for it to take you closer to that picture of a perfect and complete and mature faith needing nothing. That would be amazing. So we are considering all kinds of things, and there's one last thing we need to consider, and it is this. We need to consider what challenges us. You need to consider what challenges you. So you can see what's in the text. You need to understand what's in the text, and then you have to consider what do you do. Otherwise, it means nothing. You have to apply it to your life. That's why we read the Bible. Not just to fill our minds with things, but to Work out our faith. That's the whole point of James, right? Now that we know these things, we know that this is the challenge, how do I do it? That is tough. That is very tough. 
And in this case, James 1, before you get discouraged, you're like, I can't do that. That's not how I respond to trials. That's not my default reaction. Before anything happens, we have to think differently. And I know that may sound like a lot. They may, that may sound unrealistic. It is for me too. That's not how I'm wired. That's probably not even what I'm gonna do. I need some help, don't you? Well, let's keep reading and maybe there's something for us. Verse five, if you need wisdom. <laughs> That's a funny joke, James. <laughs> If you need wisdom, <laughs> you're funny. How about when we need wisdom, James? That'd be a little better. We all are considering this thing, these, all this stuff as opportunities, and now I need wisdom. Okay, you got me, James. I need wisdom. What do we do? Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking since we all have trials, since we all go through stuff, we need to know how to navigate them. And James is telling you, you need to ask God to help you grow in your faith. That is what we need to do. We need to ask God to help us. Ask God to help us consider things differently. God, help me see the world. That's what the wisdom would be. Help me see the things that I'm experiencing differently. Help me consider what's happening, maybe as an opportunity for my faith to grow. I don't need wisdom when I'm acing the test. I don't need wisdom when I already know what to do. I don't need wisdom when I'm having a great day. I need wisdom when things are falling apart. When I don't know what to do, when I'm scared, when I'm anxious, that's when I need it, when I don't have things under control. And that's exactly what our faith does. God says, ask then and always in between. Ask, ask me, ask now, ask later. That's what we need to do. He is a generous God. That's exactly what it says. He's generous. God is not stingy in giving out wisdom. He doesn't have only a little bit of wisdom. It's like, I'll give you one piece of wisdom. You get one back there. No, he is a generous God. He wants to give all the wisdom away. You just have to go to him and ask for the wisdom. His mouth is open. He's trying to help us grow in our faith. We just need to ask him. And he's not gonna rebuke you for asking. That's encouraging to me. He's not gonna go... What a dumb question. He's not gonna do that. He's not rebuking us for asking. Well, you should be further along in your faith. You're gonna have to pass that 101 step before I give you the real wisdom over here. No, he doesn't do that. And this wisdom is to you. In the ESV, I love how it translates it. It says, to all of you. This isn't just reserved for a certain set of people, Christians who have it mastered or, or pastors or elders over here. It's to all of you. Everybody. God's grace does not expire towards you when you become a Christian. I know we kind of mess things up 
we, we like to think because we talk about God's grace towards all people. Hey, for the sinner, repent, turn to God. God will show you grace. But then we think maybe when we become Christians, we have to have it all figured out. We can't ask God for things anymore. No, he is a generous God full of grace for you right now. Ask him. So would you consider asking God to help you work out your faith right now? He is speaking. He is. He is speaking right now. And this consideration is a choice. Our master is not forcing us to consider this. He's not forcing us to read this. He doesn't force us to grow in our faith. No, that's a choice that we get to make. We get to consider it. And I have a feeling you are a lot like me today. That if you look back on your life, and you think about your life of faith, if you're a Christian, the times when your faith grew the most were the hardest times in your life, weren't they? Aren't they? Just a guess. It's true for me. Remember being in high school wondering, what do I do with my life? Wrestling with that. I don't know what to do, Lord. I need wisdom and he came through and my faith grew when I was a newlywed I was in a role I was in a job that I wasn't really suited for and I remember thinking like well I got to take care of this other person now I'm like 22 years old I don't know how to do this I need wisdom God when I had a son who was sick and, and went into the NICU and I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I had a chance for my faith to grow. And I said, God, I need, I need wisdom. When, when my mom got sick and, and she passed way too soon, I, I had a chance for my faith to grow. It wasn't a guarantee that my faith would grow. I had a chance to consider it an opportunity to turn to God. And ask. And for me, the tool is right here. I didn't just get the wisdom. It's right here. God's speaking to you with whatever you are going through right now. So here's my challenge plain and simple. Would you ask that question, God, help me grow in my faith? And I'm telling you right now, read the book of James with us. It's five chapters. We're going for six weeks. I believe that you can read it every single week, the whole thing, and we could read it six times together. You can do it. Read it six times. That word will stick in your mind and you will begin to live it out and your faith will begin to work out and grow. I believe it. And as you read it, see it, make observations, understand it, what does it mean, and apply it to your life. And who knows what will happen. Maybe the fire alarms will go off next week and we will all rejoice at the opportunity to grow. Amen? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your words that are so clear and strong and true. 
we don't like trials. Your word doesn't say to enjoy it. Your word doesn't say that those things are even good. It just says that those are an opportunity for our faith in you to grow. Take our hearts, take us today. May we turn it over to you and have you transform us, weak soldiers of Jesus, into strong, mature believers who work out our faith with fear and trembling for all of our days, passing it on to the next generation and the generations still to come. In Jesus' name.